Section 1 of English Costume. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. English Costume by Dion Clayton Calthrop. Section 1. William the First. Reigned 21 years, 1066 to 1087. Born 1027. Married 1053. Matilda of Flanders. The Men Why France should always give the lead in the matter of dress is a nice point in sartorial morality, a morality which holds that it takes nine tailors to make a man, and but one milliner to break him, a code, in fact, with which this book will often have to deal. Sartorially, then, we commence with the 14th of October, 1066, upon which day, fatal to the fashions of the country, the flag of King Harold, sumptuously woven and embroidered in gold, bearing the figure of a man fighting, studded with precious stones, was captured. William, of Norse blood and pirate traditions, landed in England, and brought with him bloodshed, devastation, new laws, new customs, and new fashions. Principal among these last was the method of shaving the hair at the back of the head, which fashion speedily died out by reason of the parlous times and the haste of war, besides the utter absurdity of the idea. Fashion, however, has no sense of the ridiculous, and soon replaced the one folly by some other extravagance. William I found the Saxons very plainly dressed, and he did little to alter the masculine mode. He found the Saxon ladies to be as excellent at embroidery as were their Norman sisters, and in such times the spindle-side was content to sit patiently at home weaving, while the men were abroad ravaging the country. William was not of the stuff of dandies. No man could draw his bow. He helped with his own hands to clear the snowdrift on the march to Chester. Stark and fierce he was, loving the solitudes of the woods and the sight of heart and hind. When some kind of order was restored in England, many of the Saxons who had fled the country and gone to Constantinople came back, bringing with them the Oriental idea of dress. The Jews came with Eastern merchandise into England, and brought rich-coloured stuffs, and as these spread through the country by slow degrees, there came a gradual change in colour and material, and finer stuffs replaced the old homespun garments. The Jews were at this time very eminent as silk manufacturers and makers of purple cloth. The Britons had been very famous for their dyed woollen stuffs. Boudicca is said to have worn a tunic of checkered stuff, which was in all probability rather of the nature of Scottish plaids. The tunics worn by the men of this time were, roughly speaking, of two kinds, those that fitted close to the body, and those that hung loose, being gathered into the waist by a band. The close-fitting tunic was in the form of a knitted jersey, with skirts reaching to the knee. It was open on either side to the hips, and fell from the hips in loose folds. The neck was slit open four or five inches, and had an edging of embroidery, and the sleeves were wide, and reached just below the elbows. These also had an edging of embroidery, or a band different in colour to the rest of the tunic. The other form of tunic was made exactly in shape like the modern shirt, except that the neck opening was smaller. 
It was loose and easy, with wide sleeves to the elbow, and was gathered in at the waist by a band of stuff or leather. The skirts of the tunics were cut square, or V-shaped in front and behind. There were also tunics similar in shape to either of those mentioned, except that the skirts were very short, and were tucked into wide, short breeches, which reached to the knee, or into the trousers which men wore. Under this tunic was a plain shirt, loosely fitting, the sleeves tight and wrinkled over the wrist, the neck showing above the opening of the tunic. This shirt was generally white, and the opening at the neck was sometimes stitched with coloured or black wool. Upon the legs they wore neat-fitting drawers of wool or cloth, dyed or of natural colour, or loose trousers of the same materials, sometimes worn loose, but more generally bound round just above the knee and at the ankle. They wore woollen socks, and for footgear they wore shoes of skin and leather, and boots of soft leather shaped naturally to the foot, and strapped or buckled across the instep. The tops of the boots were sometimes ornamented with coloured bands. The cloak worn was semicircular in shape, with or without a small semicircle cut out at the neck. It was fastened over the right shoulder, or in the centre by means of a large round or square brooch, and it was held in place by means of a metal ring, or a stuff loop, through which the cloak was pushed, or it was tied by two cords sewn on to the right side of the cloak, which cords took a bunch of the stuff into a knot, and so held it, the ends of the cords having tags of metal or plain ornaments. One may see the very same make and fashion of tunic as the Normans wore under their armour being worn to-day by the dervishes in Lower Egypt, a coarse wool tunic, well padded, made in the form of tunic and short drawers in one piece, the wide sleeves reaching just below the elbow. The hats and caps of these men were of the most simple form, plain, round-topped skull-caps, flat caps close to the head without a brim, and a hat with a peak like the helmet. Hoods, of course, were worn during the winter, made very close to the head, and they were also worn under the helmets. Thus, in such a guise, may we picture the Norman lord at home, eating his meat with his fingers, his feet in loose skin shoes tied with thongs, his legs in loose trousers bound with crossed garters, his tunic open at the neck, showing the white edge of his shirt, his face clean-shaven, and his hair neatly cropped. THE WOMEN Nothing could be plainer or more homely than the dress of a Norman lady. Her loose gown was made with ample skirts reaching well on to the ground, and it was gathered in at the waist by a belt of wool, cloth, silk, or cloth of gold web. The gown fitted easily across the shoulders, but fell from there in loose folds. The neck opening was cut as the man's, about five inches down the front, and the border ornamented with some fine needlework as also were the borders of the wide sleeves, which came just below the elbows. Often the gown was made short, so that when it was girded up, the border of it fell only to the knees, and showed the long chemise below. The girdle was, perhaps, the richest portion of their attire, and was sometimes of silk diapered with gold thread, but such a girdle would be very costly. More often it would be plain wool, and be tied simply round the waist with short ends which did not show. The chemise was a plain white garment, with tight sleeves which wrinkled at the wrists. That is to say, they were really too long for the arm, and so were caught in small folds at the wrist. 
The gown, opening at the neck in the same way as did the men's tunics, showed the white of the chemise, the opening being held together sometimes by a brooch. Towards the end of the reign, the upper part of the gown, that is from the neck to the waist, was worn close and fitted more closely to the figure, but not over tightly, much as a tight jersey would fit. Over all was a cloak of the semicircular shape, very voluminous, about three feet in diameter, which was broached in the center or on the shoulder. On the head, where the hair was closely coiled with a few curls at the forehead, a wimple was worn, which was wound about the head and thrown over the shoulder, not allowing the hair to show. These wimples were sometimes very broad, and were almost like a mantle, so that they fell over the shoulders below the breast. Tied round the wimple they sometimes had a snood, or band of silk. The shoes were like those worn by the men. These ladies were all housewives, cooking, preparing simples, doing embroidery and weaving. They were their own milliners and dressmakers, and generally made their husbands' clothes, although some garments might be made by the town tailors. But as a rule, they weaved, cut, sewed, and fitted for their families, and then, after the garments were finished to satisfaction, they would begin upon strips of embroidery to decorate them. In such occupation we may picture them, and imagine them sitting by the windows with their ladies, busily sewing, looking up from their work to see hedged fields in lambing time, while shepherds in rough sheepskin clothes drove the sheep into a neat enclosure, and saw to it that they lay on warm straw against the cold February night. End of section 1